can tell when somebody really enjoyed what they were working on and and loved working on it. And I like to think that that everybody can tell that we're enjoying our games and having fun with them ourselves. Yeah. I when I read a game, I want to know something that the designer loves. I want to like I want to read, you know, like I don't know very much about cars, but I want you know, I'm always excited to read a game about cars written by someone who clearly knows what a slip differential is and cares enough to take me on that journey. Welcome to the Draw Your Dice podcast, the show that calls on the champions and new contenders of the tabletop RPG arena. My name is Jeremy Gage, and I am learning about tabletop game design and publishing. If you are a budding game designer or a veteran looking for fresh musings, stay tuned as we learn about the inspirations, processes, and philosophies of professionals in the industry. Hello, everyone. Thank you for coming to the Draw Your Dice show podcast episode number unknown. I don't know where I'm at, but what's really special about today is that this is the first cooperative inaugural dual show i'm so excited i'm so excited to bring to you the designers behind gem room games i'd like to welcome to the show dan phipps and Kali Laurie. <sighs> thank you i want to want to wait to make sure the uh, the applause dies down from the <laughs> from the stands yeah exactly <laughs> Please, please. I mean, do go on. <laughs> it's a pleasure to have you both here Yeah, thank today. you for uh, inviting us. I met Dan through the Brain Trust, per many of my guests, and I've been hearing great things about Kali as well through the Twitters, whenever Gem Room Games pops up in my feed. For those who may not know who you are, Dan and Kali, would you just give a brief introduction for each of you, and maybe also a brief introduction for Gem Room Games as well? Sure. So I'm Dan Phipps. I never know how to start introductions. <laughs> so why don't we start with Gem Room Games? Let's start with Gem Room Games. So we're Gem Room Games. We're based in Southern California near Glendale, and we make indie tabletop RPGs. We've been how long have we been doing this? Been doing this for a little, year, a little, three, little, four, four to five years, I think. Four to five. We released our first. We spent a lot of time in development, but we released our first game about two years ago. Yeah, we um, sort of crept into being with Dan doing games that he was working on ostensibly by himself, and then. I was coming in to playtest and to consult and then to edit, and eventually it was sort of like, well, we've, we've been doing this together for a while now, so we may as well officially yeah. do this together. Sort of make explicit what was implicit. but uh, So, yeah, we about two years ago we released High Magic Low Lives, which was the first thing that we... Official, generally. Yeah, and that was essentially taking something that I'd been working on for a very long time and essentially handing it over to Kali for complete editorial control so that it actually made sense outside of my brain. And then since then, we made Subway Runners, which we had the chance to submit to the Itch.io Racial Justice Bundle. And then, and then we had a second kid. 
then there was a long drought. And and then very recently, we released Duckburg and just two days ago, Neutron Axe or yeah. something, because we decided to take a break from making <laughs> games by making another game. Um, yeah, Dan comes up to me. We're, we're officially on our quiet break time. And he says, well... Do you think we've got six days? Can we get something out? And yeah. five days later, we submitted. So that that's our spare time game. Yeah, that was... It turns out doing other work is not the same as rest. That was a, that was a big takeaway from that experience. But, but yeah. And yeah, we sell, we, we sell through Itch.io. And so far, we're, we're pretty much exclusively in the PDF slinging game. And yeah, I guess going backwards from Gem Room Games into who we are as individual people. So Kali and I met at library school at UCLA, and I was there for to study informatics, which I should have known was a mistake when I didn't know what that meant. It's basically like library stuff, but on computers, but no one had caught up to the fact that library stuff was happening on computers anyways. So a lot of stuff about, you know, what happens to all your digital files when... One sec, I've got, I think Discord is chirping like crazy, which is weird because I told it not to do that. And I want to make sure that that is not happening in a... Oh my God. I'm chill. I'm vibing. I'm loving this. Okay. Do not make any noises to me ever again. Screaming at Siri or Google Home. Yeah. Google Home, quiet. Yeah, hopefully that stops. What was I talking about? You were talking about who you are. Oh, informatics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> I, like, I did a big presentation on, like, what happens to... what happens to digital objects in a disaster. Because, in theory, everything you back up on a computer is, like, preserved forever, but in practice, it has to physically go on a magnetic tape or a magnetic platter and, and magnets degrade over time and, yeah. it, you know. People get real excited mm. about the idea of keeping stuff forever, forgetting that forever is a really long time. It, yeah. Yes, famously. So so that's what I studied. And and yeah, so I, I went from art school to library school studying craft, mostly art that has to do with a lot of fabric and traditional craft techniques. And from there, went to library school hoping to break into a really stable line of work, which, well, at least I met Dan. We started going to the same board game night, and he, after I got a bit tired of dudes at this board game night explaining to me a lot how to ex- how to play board games. Dan invited me to a playtest he was running of a game that he had designed, and that was the first RPG I played. And yeah, then I started playing them more and getting into this and having a lot of thoughts about how to make RPGs in a way that is friendly to somebody who didn't necessarily grow up playing D&D. Wow, what a what a beautiful story. Thank you for taking me on that journey through library school. <laughs> and now it doesn't sound great also. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, I've got I, I've got mixed feelings about library school. Yeah. Um, it's it's one of those I feel like there's a lot of schools like this in different areas of education where probably you can learn most of what you need just 
by doing the job. And unless you really want to get your PhD, then eh, really your experience is going to cover 90% of what you're going to learn. And you're going to think you know everything and then you get out of school and kind of go, oh, crap, because it's not all applicable to an actual practical experience. Mm -hmm. Um, Still valuable. That, like, last 10% can really help you figure out the practical experience, but it is not the you go in and you learn everything and ta-da, you are an expert for life situation that some people might believe yeah, I think I think I'd give grad school in general three stars on it. You know, it, it's, I got something out of it, but shouldn't have, shouldn't have had to to do that. But it it, it worked out. It's uh, I totally I totally agree. I went to culinary school in Pittsburgh, and the second I found like actual prep cook work, it was just like all thrown out the window because I was learning very like inflated concepts about classical cuisine and old European techniques. And I'm like, okay, but where's the world going with food? And I go to this Asian Latin fusion sushi bar place. I'm like, none of this works here. (laughs) Please help me. Most I got was knife skills. I studied archives and in library school, you get a real sense that every single thing that was ever made is the most precious and ought to be saved. And then you get a job and it's sort of like, okay, but, but having, saving, saving all that stuff actually costs money and mm-hmm. not a lot of institutions have just endless money to pay for space and preservation and so on. So mm-hmm. you kind of have to get over all those ideas of things being precious that you left school with. Yeah, going into records management was an even bigger shock because not only is it like, yeah, like we're we're legally obligated to get rid of stuff. And if we don't, then it can be subpoenaed. So we we're getting rid of it like we're fulfilling our legal obligation and then we are uh, cutting it out. So I had to I had to unlearn a lot about, you know. Ooh, but how can we keep it forever? Like, well, should you be, though? Like, maybe don't have done that. You know, I feel like this does roll over to Gem Room Games because our games are well-organized and kind of follow the legal line of what we must include and otherwise, can we cut it out? Yeah, which is one of the... the, That's definitely an arc from High Magic Low Lives, which is like... A lot of pages. I don't know how many pages. It's oh, it's, it's like long. a two-hour character creation, and it's glorious. Yeah, no, it's it so much works. Fun. I'm happy with it, but I've also like that's the one that I keep thinking like, should I go back and like fix it? And it's like, no, let it let it be what it is. People enjoy it and they like it for the things that you think you can fix. And endlessly tinkering is is no good. But the but yeah, and then Neutron Axe, which we thanks to the trifold jam, we were finally had a sort of commitment to okay, if it doesn't fit on a single piece of paper, then like it's not going in. So you're gonna have to articulate this broad concept of I don't know how to get hit points back and like you've got two lines, Bucko, and yeah. we're not we are not making this font any smaller. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I want to fit as many tiny points into this as possible. All amazing. I, I am excited to talk about we're we're gonna talk about both Neutronox and, and Duck Bork in just a second. But as an additional icebreaker to the show, as always, just to show people the different paths everyone takes to game design. Kali, what was sort of your first RPG experience you sort of already dabbled in 
in meeting Dan. And then what was sort of the first game that got you thinking about making tabletop games? As I mentioned, I kind of slowly waded into it and actually at one point had advised Dan to try an exercise in his design process, which was just to make a like a game a month, just a, a little zine game, one a month, and bang him out, learn a lesson from what he was doing, and move on to the next one. And as he was doing that, I started seeing it as a more approachable thing that a person could do without necessarily having a big game design background. And then after he finished that project, I I think that's about the point when we started more officially acknowledging that I was working on games. Yeah, it started just as a sort of editor thing, and mm-hmm. then that has expanded very quickly because you, I mean, when you're, you know, as I'm sure people have talked about on this show an awful lot, like you're wearing a lot of hats when you make a mm-hmm. game. So anything to be sort of like, I don't, man. Uh, yeah, like, Dan kept adding words after my name on the credit page, and eventually it was sort of like, yeah, okay, I'm just, I'm just making these games also. Yeah. It sounds like you had a really strong intuition for picking up the language, the intent behind. I mean, were you playing games a lot throughout your life or was this a recent thing in college when you went to library school? That first game that Dan invited me to was really my first game. I, I needed to learn what TTRPG stood for. Before that, really, I... I didn't play video games. I didn't really play much in the way of board games or anything like that. My my coming into it more was with an understanding of writing clearly and of some level of visual design as a visual artist, less with a a real understanding of how games worked. But that also is a lot of what brought me in because... I did want to make sure that as ga- that as Dan was writing these games, that he was writing them for anyone. That anyone could pick up one of these games and understand at least how to get started without needing a big background. Like, I, I noticed for a while I was trying to get into video games and realized pretty quickly that most video games assume that you've been playing since Duck Mm -hmm. Hunt or whatever and have a basic understanding of what the different keys do and how these things work and they don't need to explain that to you and then for somebody like me who didn't grow up playing them it's just really confusing that's a lot of barrier to entry and Mm -hmm. a lot of the games a lot of the RPGs on Dan's shelf also make similar assumptions that You've grown up playing these things, you understand all the shorthand and the mechanics, and that that's really frustrating if you haven't grown up with these things, to try to jump into that and just hit a wall of not understanding and not knowing what's going on. So that was actually something that I brought to Gem Room Games, was really wanting to make sure that 
anyone could pick up a game and not find themselves alienated by shorthand or by by a writing style that assumed something that wasn't necessarily accurate. I love that. That's very, very cool. And I think one of the things you and I share here, Kali, is that I'm also like, as I talk with a lot of these designers, I'm super new to game design period. I have played video games for a long portion of my life, but I didn't start playing like D&D until four years ago. So a lot of like interactive game lingo and techniques are super obscure to me and abstract. So I feel a sort of relation to reading a book that has a language that says like, oh, you know how like dice and probability and all this stuff works. Like, you'll get it. You'll totally get it. Like, I don't get it. I literally <laughs> yeah. don't understand what's happening here. So that's very, very cool. Dan, how about you? What was what was your first sort of tabletop role playing game? What made you decide that you wanted to design them? So I started playing. I played tabletop RPGs for a bit in like middle and high school. I think the first game I played I think the first game I played ever, ever was uh, third edition D&D, but the, that was only like a one-off gimmick that like a guy in the neighborhood was like, check out this book. And then we like sat down and played once. And it was like, okay, neat. And then that was kind of it. The first game I played where it was sort of a long form thing was Warhammer Fantasy second edition, which set me up with really weird expectations for what a tabletop RPG is, because that's a game where you, when you're making a character, you, you roll for your name. Like, you don't get to pick your name. You, your parents named you. Why would you get to pick your name? And it's very, you know, very underlines this, like, oppressive medieval Inquisition-y setting through character creation and through this sort of, like, all right, you, like, you're this weird guy who has this randomly selected job because it's medieval society and you don't get to pick what you do and like now go get you know killed by beastmen or something and the first time i gm'd was i think fourth edition shadow run and it just didn't work like i just couldn't i like i tried to run a couple of games from that sort of in the early aughts and not a one of them like i i like didn't get it. Like I'd read it kind of, and then was there's like nothing doing. Later, I I ran fourth edition, which I know you've been reading a bit, and it was like, oh, they actually the Dungeons Masters guide actually guides Dungeon Masters. What a novel <laughs> concept! And like that, I could actually run, and so that was when I started getting back into like getting in RPGs and like take bringing my like way cooler hipster friends on this journey with me of like, hey, want to be an elf? And the the first game I played where it was like, oh, I could probably do this was when Fantasy Flight did their Star Wars games. They did, the, I think, Edge of the Empire was the first one where it was just like, oops, all Han Solos. And and it was like, oh, like, like by because it was a little bit thinner than, and a little bit more oblique how the game actually works, which everyone else was learning through PBTA. Everyone else was like learning that success and complications can be different axes and like ways to sort of interact with that. And I was learning it through Fantasy, Fi Fan Fantasy Flight's weird proprietary dice system that is intentionally set up so that you can't recreate it without uh, fancy dice. But after that was when I started messing around with trying to make a game. And I spent 
a long time. I spent like years tinkering with this game called Arroyo that if I just known when to go to print, I would have made like six games because it was like real ship of Theseus hours, except it was like a ship that was a car and then a submarine and then like a plane and then like a building. Like it, it just. And I think I came in during the submarine phase. Yeah, yeah, you were you were some <laughs> big submarine era energy, but uh, but yeah, it's so like that was a real like like that was the the sort of response to that was okay. No, I have one month. Like I, I've got one month, and I've got like I, I finally accepted that like I that I had to stop tinkering with this thing that I didn't even know. Like I didn't know how drive through RPG worked, or like what was I going to do with this PDF once I had it? So I started making zines and I made Nine Lives of Valhalla laid out on Microsoft PowerPoint, which I do not recommend. It did not look good, but it, no, I, I actually, it, it came out, it looked fine. It's it, it just, worked for the medium. It worked for the medium, It especially if you have a mi- magnifying glass because it <laughs> like this. <laughs> font came out tiny out the printer but and i think a game called teeny tiny terraformers that sort of worked yeah it was a a fun premise based on an alliterative title and and yeah and ever since then it's just been trying to manage scope and then with occasionally me coming in and being like no that's done no no no, we're we're, we're going to print we're done please yeah please (laughs) stop trying to tinker with this mechanic dan it needs to be done so yeah so that was sort of the the arc to us having a kitchen table conversation about starting a a i don't know game company yeah i guess we're a company Mm -hmm. yeah I, this is, what I'm hearing right now is that this is the fabled power couple that so many people look for in their lives. You I found mean, it's, it. It's definitely come together. It feels that way, yeah. We are definitely a couple. Yes. <laughs> Powerful you are also. I love it. I love both of your journeys. Very cool. And I love that there's this very synergistic quality to the different paths you take in your life. I think it's I think it's very cool. I I'm in high respect of it. Well, with that, let's let's get into the meat and potatoes. Let's talk about these games, shall we? Let's open with because you're so excited about. It, let's open with Duckborg. So you made Duckborg as a supplement to the very popular as of current Workborg. Why? Why ducks? Why Borg? Why Duckborg? So the Dan has a lot of dad puns. So it's a, it's a very you know there are people who do mechanics first design. This is pun first design. Actually, legitimately, Would you say it's a principle of gem gem room. I mean, I I actually do think if you if you can come up with a good title for a game, then like you should probably make it because the hardest thing in the world is when you have a game and you need a title. So if you have the title, then the hardest work. Oh is. yeah, this is why you know I've. I've got an upcoming project coming out someday, maybe, called Havoc Knight, because isn't that a fun name? Yeah. Who's the Havoc Knight? What does he do? Don't worry about it. We'll figure it out. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's tomorrow's problem. So the the Morkborg official channel teased something that they were going to make called Cyborg, which is like, well, that was... That that obviously, in retrospect, why, 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 why did someone not scoop Stockholm Cartel... On cyborg because and I think there was a lot of alternate Borg chat on on the Brain Trust 
And at some point, I knew we had a hit when I typed life is like a hurricane here in Duckburg. And the immediate response was F off, Dan. So I knew I knew that was a hit. Uh, I think that when Dan told me that, I sort of went, uh-huh, okay, and left the room. Yep. Yeah. So clearly a winner. That was back in October. It's about to be April now. We released it in March. So it's, it took a long time to get there. And we, and I mean, that was it. It was sort of like, okay, if the, the, if this joke is still funny in a week, then then we'll make the game. And it was. It turns out it was funny months later still. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I still think it's really good. So we reached out to Robbie Bear, who is a... Paper Games. Of Nerdy Paper Games. That's his itch.io is Nerdy Paper Games, and everyone should go follow him there. Because he's a game designer and an illustrator who we've been threatening to do a collaboration for a long time, but it never quite materialized. And he had he had the perfect style for this because he a would get it like uh, and b he's he knows how to he knows the like Disney style really well, mm-hmm. but like it wouldn't. Like, I, I feel like the the death of this thing would be having to explain Morkberg, or Merkborg, rather. And so, the, you know, we, we reached out to him to, for, for the art, and then had a second kid, and that was... We put in a little bit of work on it we, before the second kid. Then we, came the yeah. second kid, and High Magic Low Lives we put out when our first kid was, what, like two weeks old or mm-hmm. so? And yeah. this time I, I, I did a lot of talking... To Dan in the lead up saying we're not going to do that again uh, yeah. we're absolutely we're not going to do that so instead we put out a game when our second kid was like two months old yeah um, mm. big big difference six uh, yeah. weeks <laughs> yeah and yeah we we what we ended up doing because we what we wrote was like 40 pages like it was mm-hmm. it was expansive and what we ended up doing because I was starting to get in my own head about the project and you know but we really wanted to do it and I think it was your idea to to break it up into rounds so that we could actually get something out there well, and we wanted also you know there's that that cartoon that could that, that was is, it that is owned by a uh, powerful company mm-hmm. and they were having their series finale on March fifteenth and we thought, well, that would be a fun time to put out our game in a very you know total coincidence they've got nothing to do with each other legally very distinct properties but. Also, we weren't really ready to put out the entirety of it on that date. So we were talking about how Itch.io works and how they like the the dev blog and so on and figured out how to make that work for our timeline with this game, with the different drops of material that sort of took some of the the immediate pressure of Mm -hmm. needing to finish something now, now, and instead made it into a finish it when we've had a chance to do a really good job with it uh, Mm -hmm. and still put it out. Also, this was our first time making an RPG with, like, real layout software. So Mm -hmm. there was an element of, like, oh, we're we're doing a Morkborg, huh? That's... It's a lot of that's a lot of spreads. So yeah. yeah, we're right now. What's out there now is uh, round one, and then in May we're gonna release round two, which is uh, gonna have a lot of locations and some more monsters. Yeah, and round one was sort of everything that you would need to get started and play a basic mm-hmm. game of it, and round two sort of introduces you more into the world with 
with the locations and the treasures and things like that. And then in collaboration with Rob, we'll set a date for round three that'll really flush out that world with all of the people that you might meet, the different characters, and the what I think is one of Dan's best pieces of writing for the game, The Fate of Duckborg, which is... We, uh, the people who are familiar with Merkborg, my, my favorite thing about that game is the that at the beginning of every day you roll a die, and if you roll a one, you have to read one of the psalms that prophesy the end of the world. And that is just true now. And eventually you run out. You, you kind of decide as a table how long you want the world to live. I and mean, that determines how big of a die you roll to like everything from a D20 to like flip a coin. And when you run out, the world ends. And that's just, that's just how the game of Morkberg ends. And I think rules is written, you also burn the book. But uh, We don't recommend burning our PDF. Yeah. Uh, unless you printed it out, go ham but don't yeah. burn your computer you can if you can delete the pdf because you can re-download it from itch.io but you can symbolically <laughs> like you know you can put it on a flash drive and throw it in a lake or something but Private yeah that's actually so yeah on, that's <laughs> that's littering don't don't do that i'm winking the so we the the punchline of this whole thing is we rewrote the duckburg the ducktales theme song to uh fit the psalms and uh, it's I'm very excited. I'm very excited. There's so many hurricanes and race cars and lasers and aeroplanes that are going to be happening to people. And we, we it, it has to be last. It has to be the third round because it needs so much more like, like that's, we couldn't have done it right if we tried to rush it in this one. And so we're, we're giving it, that's our, that's our big finale in summer, I hope, yeah. is when that'll drop. And then that'll be, and then Duckburg will be complete. And hopefully by then people will still, we're, the, the hope, my, my, my biggest hope for this is that this time the response was really, really positive. We, like people were, were really into it. And a lot of it, as was intended and is appropriate, is because it is a very silly pun and that lands well. I'm hoping by the time summer rolls around, when we're talking about, hey, we have even more Duckburg, that people will be genuinely excited to, like, you know, deal with Magicka Dispel with the serial number filed off. And, like, you know, explore a surreal... Because you watch... DuckTales, and it's weird. Like, it's a weird place that doesn't make a lot of sense, and, you know, and translates to dark fantasy easier than you would think, necessarily. So we're, that's that's the hope. It may not actually materialize. People might be kind of like, didn't didn't we do this already? But, like, I'm, I... I mean, if nothing else, we're still excited about it, so it'll be oh, yeah. good to finish it and feel really good about the thing that we've made. Round three might be just for us, but the, the, <laughs> and you know, the, the way itch.io works, like the file will just update. So we can just email everyone and say, Hey, redownload it. There's more pages to <laughs> that, to that thing you got. But the, uh, yeah, I think it's, it's really sort of, the goal is to transcend the goof and, and like make it into a, you know, I don't know what you call it. Like a, like a Pinocchio esque real boy of a, of a, Mark Berg conversion. 
has to overcome the three trials before it becomes a real yep. game. A real module. It's got to escape from a whale. Someone's going to try and turn mm-hmm. it into a donkey. Yeah. I yeah. don't remember anything else in that oh, movie. There's a circus? There's a circus. Wasn't there drinking? There's yeah, drinking there's drinking on drinking. an island. This game is definitely underage. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. I haven't given Morkborg a... Uh, a real read yet and I didn't know about the the psalm sort of forced clock rules and I love that you incorporated that in this module I'm always think like in my own personal designs I'm always thinking about how to like force the game to a close because one of the things I dislike about D&D 5e campaigns and how it sort of instructs you to play is like it's the everlasting it's the never ending story essentially and you get to this meand you know you get to session 50 you're meandering and then you have to go full reset because you for- totally forgot why you started this campaign in the first place so and I think it's beautifully creative that you use the theme song to make that happen. I love it. I would love to see more of that. I, If Gem Room Games became known for converting every like childhood cartoon show into a dark fantasy RPG we'll or something of the like. We'll go before we get some cease and desist notices. Oh, well, that's the <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. the gold ring on this, is if we can get a and d from Disney. Like, I'm not optimistic on that. The, the <laughs> person who gorilla shot a movie called Escape from Tomorrowland in actual Disneyland still hasn't gotten the the takedown. So if they're, if they're good, we're good. But I don't know. I don't know how... I'm not a lawyer. What is law? What is law? Baby, don't hurt me. The, that is actually our, our position towards the Disney Corporation. It's like, no, please. I have a family. But uh, yeah, I mean, we, we I learned a lot about, like, uh, about Merkborg as a, as a game and as a, an art object. Like, we kind of did a deep dive into it that was way deeper than my first read. You know, we only have to look at the cover to come up with with a pun based on the name. But, you know, like, there's a lot that, for from a purely mechanics perspective, and then I want to give Kali a chance because she did a lot of the layout. But from from the design side of it, it the first time I read it, it felt too thin to me. And like, like oh, I see why this is good, but this isn't, this isn't my, like, thing. Because I do like a little bit more, like, I, I really like your... Blades in the Darky, like, still indie storytelling, but, like, there's some mechanical heft behind it, and, like, you get to roll dice an awful lot and so on. And what I ended up really appreciating about Merkborg is how much, like, it's, what they did include is very driving and very strong. Like, the, there's a bunch of monsters, and they're totally messed up and dark and weird and some of them are like actually one of them was like i read it and i was like well i'm going to bed that was upsetting there's like a porcelain doll that's like haunted in a super oh i know exactly what you're talking yeah not great (laughs) but the just the inclusion of like oh and like here's okay there's a troll and here's how much its corpse is worth and here's how much it's worth alive and here's how much a a troll claw is worth and like the breakdown in silver like immediately it's sort of like oh so i could run like a whole session maybe a whole campaign on like there's a troll and it's worth 200 silver if you can bring it Mm -hmm. back here alive and that's retiring money my dude and it's not gonna work (laughs) because it's a troll and you're three misbegotten weirdos but like 
like, you know, rather in, in lieu of a GM's advice guide that breaks down, you know, hey, here's like an incentive structure or whatever. It's just like, here's a fact about trolls that like maybe you let the players know and that will drive it. And that's not mm-hmm. necessarily something like if we set out to write a, you know, I mean, we're we're hewing very close to uh, Merkborg in style for Duckburg because that's the only way it's going to work. If we were writing it whole cloth, we probably would take a different approach, like mm-hmm. just in the way we tend to write. But I really like appreciated a lot of, you know, it is it is not a coincidence and it is not merely the like layout and art that is driving the fandom of it. Like I, I became mm-hmm. more of a fan of it through having to write in that style. Mm-hmm. So that that was a really good exercise and something that I kind of want to do more is like, okay, well, what do I not get? And I'll just make I'll just make content for it until I until I understand it. Mm-hmm. And Kali, you want to talk about the the visual design for sure. this project as well? Well, before getting started, really, the first thing that I did was just spend like a couple hours just looking at the book and taking notes on how they shaped things and and their colors and fonts and the way that they used things and the way that they broke down their tables and where they placed art, so on. And it was so interesting because... Before I did that, I had this impression, which I heard a lot of other people echoing, that the visual design of that game is just sort of pow in your face, bold craziness, that that it puts the aesthetic almost above your being able to play and understand the game. But the more time I spent looking at how they laid things out, the more impressed I was with how clear it is how easy they make that information to understand despite well i say despite but you know they they do so much visually and and it almost gives you this impression that that would make it harder to understand but it, it actually is really helping you to understand to get the information that you need so that allowed me to to really just sort of build a skeleton for us to then lay our words and uh, art on top of. Yeah, I think like it it became clear there are there are pages where it's very art heavy and like like if the page is just a table, it'll be laid out and stylized in a in very different way compared to hey, this is how hit points work. Like mm-hmm. they're both very big and very bombastic, but like but also all of their tables are actually really simply laid out it's just the the visual presentation kind of makes you think oh this is some wild and crazy table it's <laughs> it's actually a really beautifully simple table they've just decorated it very well mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah I, I think you know there's and this is obviously like if it it does create a barrier in an accessibility sense right like that's mm-hmm. and and something that we had to figure out really early on was like, okay, like clearly you can't just do more layout to it to like, to capture the style. Like there's a, there's a certain, there's a a restraint, there's a restraint to it. And also it was important to us to sort of evoke 
the Morkborg aesthetic and and layout style and so on, but also make sure, or, or at the very least do our best to not create something that's overwhelming for a person who might, you know, uh, who would be, what's, what's, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, you know, put off by the noise, right? Because it is very chaotic and it is very stylized. And that's, you know, it, it, it is it does pose an accessibility concern. And so something that we're probably, you know, I mean, this isn't necessarily going to be the big marketing push on it, but I think, you know, we're trying to get more familiar with accessibility in that sense of like, what does a screen reader do with this? You know, mm-hmm. that's something that like is, is becoming, it's not becoming more of a priority, but it's something that we're we're making sure that like it's part of the workflow of like okay before mm-hmm. this goes to print, you know with yeah we just with Neutron X we just included our first distinct screen readable version that mm-hmm. you can download when or instead of you download the the main game, and I was before we uh, uploaded it I was listening to the PDF and realizing oh there's there's so many little things in the way that we've been formatting that I didn't think about. I just went, oh, yeah, this heading looks good and didn't realize that it, that like a, the lack of a period would cause the screen reader to read that a little differently than we might have intended. So we've been learning about things like that and wanting to, you know, I, I talked earlier about how much we've wanted people who don't necessarily have an RPG background to find our works inviting and accessible to them in that way. And this is a new sort of accessible for us yeah. that we're we're trying to develop to really make sure that there aren't any any groups of people that we are alienating or leaving out. We want everyone to be able to pick up a Gemrun Games game and enjoy it. Yeah, I think, you know, one of the... This started, like, very early on being very GM-focused because I still have a chip on my shoulder from not being able to run games from the 2000s. And so, you know, thinking a lot about, you know, the sort of the designer to the game as a document to the GM who's probably the person who bought the book who then has to go to a group of players and pitch it and then has to know how to run the game and how do you sort of... Get, how do you have a message that can be carried from each person, you know, so that it's a pitchable game, so that people will actually be able to play it? And, you know, like, it, it doesn't matter if they play it as intended, but they should be able to, like, not... They should have something to kick off from, you know, like mm-hmm. something that sort of says, okay, if you do... If you have these five things, you can run a game. You know, you need a monster and a treasure and a spooky place, and and you'll be fine, or whatever. Um, Something I learned about Dan as a GM pretty early on was that he would pick up a book and read it and then go, ah, I'm not going to do that part, and yeah. just start cutting out, uh, like, whole chapters and slipping in mechanics he preferred or just skipping that whole section and because of my watching him do that, I sort of look at all of our games with the expectation that people are going to do that. They're oh, yeah. going to mm-hmm. take the parts that work for them 
and roll with that and we want that to always be okay. Yeah, uh, we don't want the game to completely mm-hmm. fall apart because you cut out something that wasn't working for you. Yeah, mm-hmm. so, you know, like, that that was, that started being the priority, but as, you know, we've learned more and and, and read other people's games more and, and gotten an increasingly rare opportunity to actually play a game, which <laughs> it's so much easier to write games than to play them now. Like, getting six people to sit down in a Zoom is, like, impossible these days. But, mm-hmm. but writing a game, you can just do that when your kid wakes you up at five in the morning and you can't get back to sleep. But, you know, like... Like, there are ways to to help people be good players, and there are ways to, you know, like, think about safety tools and to make sure that, you know, I'm, I know full well that there are people who have thought really, really hard about making really good safety tools. I don't need to reinvent that wheel, but I can sort of make the, the negative space where the safety tools that are preferred will fit into our game. And... You know, like setting people up to have, you know, goals as a character and to, you know, sort of interact with other characters to make more fun and so on. Like that's, you know, like we're not, there's no, there's no good will come of us being precious about the design, but like this sort of broad accessibility definition of of sort of providing on-ramps for people from a lot of different backgrounds, but also, you know, and, and we're probably... Once we get a, a rhythm that we like, because I got to learn, I know academically what an EPUB is, no idea how to make one. Like I, mm-hmm. if I hit the save as PDF button, I've got a PDF and Itch.io will give me money for it sometimes. And that's <laughs> great. But like, I, you know, that's sort of a thing that I'm really looking to figure out or, or get it as an HTML document or something that because PDFs are rough stuff, man. They you copy paste from a PDF and you get word salad on the other side. Um, I will tell me about it. This this got pretty far afield, but but yeah, it's <laughs> but Duckburg. <laughs> yeah, I think Duckburg. You know, it didn't make it into round one, and it's something that I think is going to be a priority for for later rounds. But like doing the the deep dive into the Merkborg style and the writing and so on kind of showed both sides of like, oh, like you can do this. Like we can tweak the, very slightly tweak the the text so it's all slightly rotated and has this like great jumbled feel. And like, A, who are we we bringing in with that? Like who likes Merkborg who we're bringing in? And also kind of who are we pushing away a little bit? And Mm -hmm. that's that's okay for Duckburg because that was the intent. Like it's very you know what you're getting with this because you there is it, it is very difficult for me to imagine someone buying Duckburg before Morkburg or like not being aware of the existence of although we have been told people are doing that we is. people have bought Merkborg so they can play Duckburg which is <laughs> the greatest possible success of that of that game I can imagine it's like we have Tell we have driven yeah, exactly. We're, we, we have led people to pick up Merkborg so they can, you know, but yeah, uh, be that, a duck. That uh, Duckburg is very much also a visual art piece and not not just a game. The, the visuals of it matter to it. Yeah, because otherwise it doesn't work. Like yeah. a plain text version. Like we should provide a plain text version so people can access that information without their eyeballs yes. exploding. But like also... <laughs> 
you know, like it. it but, but the it's the, a response to Merkborg. The object itself is a yeah. a thing of value. Yeah, exactly. So you know, it's it's complicated making <laughs> games, man. It's a whole it's a we're, whole thing. We're kind of trying to figure out. Uh, the line between makes it sound like they are distinct things in a way that I no longer believe they are, but for lack of a better phrase, the line between making a game and making an art piece. We've been sort of toying with figuring out how they can be the same thing and how that can overlap while figuring out how to also make these now art pieces accessible. Mm-hmm. It's a It's a fun adventure of game design. Yeah, there's... I often think about... I often think about the combination of like what is game as an art form, right? And I think that there are definitely some correlations because they're both experiential and they're both determined by the projections of the people who are engaging with it at the time. So that's always my link between the two things. And as far as like talking about thinking about accessibility as a part of the workflow for the two of you and I would hope for anyone listening to this sort of, I had just had a conversation with Chris Bissett yesterday per the recording of this episode that accessibility is just something that should be thought about, considered a little bit more in terms of just on the outset, because a lot of it's not really difficult to do when you think about releasing a plain text document of your game. Like one, that's your ash can if you don't have the experience with Affinity Designer or Adobe Illustrator or don't have the money to buy those things, you extend your audience so much more when you think about the electronic advantages of EPUB readers and Mobi readers and everything to that effect, right? And I think that moving forward in a modern game design landscape, that accessibility should be... We, we actually talked about, like because me and Spencer Campbell are on this live design hype train. And one of the things I'm thinking, I think about when you create a sole digital virtual tabletop RPG experience, you can do some cool things with art direction too, like colorblind modes and stuff like that as well. When people are like reading those PDFs or want to download those versions of the books to be more accessible because I have a colorblind friend who can't see like I think blues and greens are very hard for them and some art like kind of escapes them because they hit that analogous form of color design or color theory or whatever have you color combination science I know what it is but yeah, I think it I think you touched on some really cool things that I think designers should really think about going forward for their products. And I love that you are in the depths of really trying to figure it out for your own design principles. And I think that's very cool. Dan, Collie, this is the section of the show where I ask you, you know, what are some trends you're seeing in your social circles and your game design networks? It doesn't necessarily have to be just design principles, but like publishing trends or something to that effect, marketing trends. What are some trends that you're seeing that you're really liking? If there are any trends that you feel are detractful to the 
tabletop scene? Would you like to caution people against those things? And then, or, and or, is there any trends within you that you want to speak into the ether that you think people should explore a little bit more? feel like we we talked about what we were going to say in <laughs> in trend town and then we burned all of that material yeah. by dovetailing into because we, we already tangented we tangented uh, but but I, I do you know so everything we said earlier about accessibility art pieces yeah uh, those all are that stuff still true trends that we are very interested in pursuing ourselves and in seeing other people doing yeah and the the only thing i would tack on to the art piece thing is like i think a lot of designers, or maybe they don't, maybe I'm I'm projecting, I don't know. But I think there's this idea that like, viewing your game as an art piece is mutually exclusive from sitting down at a table with your friends and some drinks and some pretzels and going and bonking goblins on the head and having a, a good time. Like, a, And I think that's a that's not true. Yeah, we, like, want, we want both. We want you to yeah. be able to look at the thing that we've created and really appreciate it as an object and then take that object and have a good time with it with your friends. Yeah, like we, Gem mm-hmm. Games, uh, we're still trying to think of the better term for beer and pretzel games of just like, you know, this like Subway Runners is a, a goofy time that uses randomizers to create silly results. And like, that's what we want to be making. And that's what we're comfortable with. And that's what we enjoy writing. Generally, if you are playing one of our games, we hope that you're getting some laughs. Yeah, but it, but that doesn't, that if you are designing games with that in mind, that does not absolve you of thinking through your your work as an art piece, even if even if the goal is to make a comedy or to make something that is light in nature. So that, you know, it's, you, you have to do that too, even if you're not writing something incredibly emotionally revealing about yourself, but instead are just like, I thought of a cool way to fight liches. I don't know. But <laughs> a, a trend that, given my, my soapbox that I will stand on, given the slightest provocation with Ichio specifically, because they're so close, is and we talked about this a little bit on the on on your other show on the on the Colin show but the just getting revenue sharing up on itch will i think if if we can get that or if itchio can get that cuz they you can do it for bundles it's just a, the bundle that never ends come on is <laughs> once that functionality unlocks that is going to i think open up a lot of not only collaboration within the tabletop RPG space without having to like, without having to do the organizational overhead of, of okay, we're going to have a like, I mean, you should probably have like an agreement or whatever, <laughs> but like, you know, like you don't have to form an LLC every time you want to, you know, do a jam with your buddies and make the same game. But also we forget about this sometimes, but it turns out there's more than physical games on Itch.io. There's 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 mm-hmm. video games on Itchio. It turns out, and <laughs> being able to do revenue sharing is going to open up the the somewhat inaccessible trend that Lancer has. And I mean, mm-hmm. technically, you know, like uh, I, I've I've seen 
what Wizards of the Coast does with with, with a digital tool. You know, I feel like they really got to get some nerds working on it. That's my spicy take. They got to, <laughs> if only they could find someone who knew, okay, maybe that, maybe that can be redacted from the episode. I don't know if I need, uh, I don't know if, if we need to invoke the name of, of Wizards of the Coast. And I, Summon them. Yeah. And I can't call it the dragon game because we've got a new better dragon game now. But, um, yeah, but, but, you know, digital tools for tabletop RPGs are a thing I always love to see. CompCon is makes Lancer playable to me as a person who does not have time to build a mech and like run a game. You know, we we used Perchance, which is for subway runners. For subway runners, we used Perchance. That was really successful and we also ran into limitations on what it could do very quickly and being able mm-hmm. to talk to someone who makes video games and say, hey, we've got this idea for like this companion app for a game or a game that's built around a companion app so that it can do stuff that you can't normally do, you know, roll a 14-sided die and make, you know, a character sheet out of just dropping cards on a thing, that kind of thing. We can't do that now because that's software development and that's a whole... Oh boy, that's a, that mm-hmm. is a big thing to bite off. But if, if we could talk to someone and say, hey, we'll... We'll write the game, you make the app, we'll figure out who gets what cut of the money and let's just do this thing would make that possible for us to, mm-hmm. to start doing bespoke stuff without feeling like either we're taking taking someone for a ride on, you know, on their largesse or... On without the hassle of being like, all right, we'll send you a check for $4.17 next month and figure yeah. out exactly what your cut's going to be the following month and do that in perpetuity. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I, I think that's, you know, it's not it's not necessarily a new take, but it is something that I really really think, you know, if it, leaf if you're out there, I love itchio. I started <laughs> making games on it exclusively as soon as I realized I could. But man oh man oh man, that's going to once you once you flip that switch, I'm sure it's much more complicated than flipping a switch. Once you <laughs> yeah. flip that switch, it's like there's going to be an explosion of like really creative stuff that that is going to really bridge some very interesting gaps. Also, if we can get revenue sharing with Bandcamp so I can finally make the, the tabletop <laughs> RPG that has a soundtrack that you can buy as a cassette. Oh, man, it's Ooh. it's going to, you know, there's a the, the, there's a lot that could uh, potentially Dan happen will, there. Dan will be tinkering on that one for ages. Yeah. So that's that's I'm manifesting. I'm manifesting revenue sharing on itch because I don't want to do a Kickstarter. Please. I do not want to do it. It seems very stressful. I want to make yeah. games and occasionally get uh, beer money from them. But yeah. <laughs> Kali, any trends to add on to that? Uh, you know, I think I think I've covered most of the trends. I I know I tend to not be as present in the sort of social world of RPGs as Dan. So a lot of my awareness of trends takes the form of like Dan running up to me with a zine and saying, "Look at this," and I <laughs> do, and I go, "Wow, yeah, that's cool," and. <laughs> then we put it back on the bookshelf so that our daughter doesn't lovingly try to eat it. And that that sort of curates mm-hmm. my awareness of trends. Yeah. Our, our, I'd love for, uh, for... I love zine games, and I also... Were, she really likes Mothership, is the thing. <laughs> and she keeps grabbing the Mothership scenes down, and they're, they're, they're fragile a bit. <laughs> 
It's the colors. Do you have, would you happen to have potentially, because this is a unique opportunity, would you have any trends like outside of the game skate? Like maybe something more towards visual design or artistic design in in any facet that, that maybe you are, that you like seeing in games or that you have been enjoying seeing in games that Dan presents to you in an open, <laughs> look at this <laughs> format. Something that we had talked about before the interview that we haven't mentioned yet mm-hmm. was about making games that are kind of like fun to read as well mm-hmm. as, you know, like like not just sort of a dry reference text. The, the but thing that is enjoyable, even if you can't get your group of friends together to actually play it. Which, you know, I mean, the, the joke is, you know, like how many games do you buy and how many games have you actually played? And mm. the answer is shut up. Um, <laughs> don't talk to me. Yeah, don't talk to me about that. I don't I don't know you, stranger danger. But the but I, I do think something that I love to see it every time is like a clear like I, I always appreciate those sort of hints of the designer's voice. And that mm-hmm. may not be, you know, I might have a taste for that and it may be an acquired taste, but I like writing games and in a in a sort of naturalistic way and trying to articulate the difference between okay no the this is how this is how dice are rolled and so on and you should probably do this but you're an adult have fun so so like that sort of consideration in in writing I think is something that you know we do to varying degrees of success there wasn't a lot of room for it in Neutron Axe but and and I it's something that I'm hoping, you know, like I, I always, I don't know if it counts as a trend. I think people do it or they don't, depending on how they, they like to write. But I, I always, you know, if you're new, like, yeah, let it, let it fly. Like, yeah. speak naturally. I was just thinking also not necessarily a trend, but we were talking the other day about what makes some comedies work when others don't. Mm-hmm. And what we were identifying is sincerity because mm. you can you can write something that you think is the funniest thing, but if you're if you're being kind of an a-hole about it or not really believing in what you do, then something that's sort of, you know, B minus, it's gonna really feel B minus. But if mm-hmm. you if you believe in it and make it with love and sincerity and really feel it, that comes across. And I think that that we were talking a lot about like some Vin Diesel movies, for example. Um, there's a sincerity that you know everybody really enjoyed making that oh, and yeah. mm-hmm. and put that love into it, and that comes across, and that's something that. I think also comes across, for example, in RPGs. You can tell when somebody really enjoyed what they were working on and mm-hmm. and loved working on it. And I like to think that that everybody can tell that we're enjoying our games and having fun with them ourselves. Yeah. I when I read a game, I wanna know something that the designer loves. I wanna like I wanna read you know, like, I don't know very much about cars, but I want, you know, I'm r- always excited to read a game about cars written by someone who clearly knows what a slip differential is and cares enough to take me on that journey. 
It's something to do with drift racing. I don't know. <laughs> I, it came up when I, I got way too into, like, Grand Theft Auto V. Like, I should not know what that is. Um, but, yeah. Yeah, I think love. Uh, I think love yeah, is a good yeah. trend. It's, it's, you know, love. Let's end on that note. Family, love, <laughs> sincerity. We don't have to end the, the interview, but I feel like that's a, that's a good... That's a good trend. I like that. Love and trend. Yeah, I know that Adam Bell has a really cool sense of voice. Like, I feel like Adam is talking to me whenever I read one of his games. And I get the same sense from your games as as well, at least for Duckborg, from what I've read. I feel a lot of, like, flavor and, like... I feel like one of you is standing on the table reading the beginning excerpt to me and it just feels very nice. I love games like that. And I agree. I think there is definitely this change up from game as reference material into game as a narrative adventure for the reader, which is very cool. Let's let's talk about Neutron Axe then. Yeah. Because um, I think we got so, a lot of cool tips from the trends in the first in the first section as well. So let's see. Neutron Axe, we we dropped So we we dropped that one I think two days ago. It's our it's Gemroom Games' first original rule set mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. our first in text original art coming from Gemroom Games and our first trifold. So. Yeah, basically, so we did we did Duckburg, and instead of being reasonable adults who take a break between projects, I really wanted, I, I had this idea, and it, it's sort of my, this kind of, this is, it, it's, I'm not used to doing mechanics first design, that's like not usually how I do, so this felt very George Lucasian, like, I've got this great <laughs> bit of dice tech and I won't, now I need a game to put it in. And <laughs> so it bounced around as a lot of different things. It was going to be sort of this Mandalorian-inspired space western because I realized that the dot .rodeo suffix for a website is really cheap. So I was going to make, I was going to write a game called Tachyon Rodeo and then like I'd have that website. It'd be great. That's and then sick. that immediately got out of scope. And it was going to take way too long to do. And then it was going to be a 2400 hack. But I, we kind of took, we, we, we kind of decided, actually, we, we wanted this to be new enough. Like it was, it is inspired by the way dice work in 2400 and in Blades in the Dark. But I'm pretty sure, I mean, there's nothing new under the sun, but I'm pretty sure it's new enough that we can call it our own rule set. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Man, it's it's wild <laughs> out here. You know, if somebody wants to write in and be like, oh, you totally copied this other thing, then, <laughs> then we'll, oops. And, then you know, oops is our that's, position That's on that. how the human subconscious works, dude, so yeah. it's chill. <laughs> mm. But yeah, so we, we had this, this rule set and it we were going to make it a hack then we didn't want to make it a hack because we wanted other people to be able to make hacks of it and point to it. And then I got frustrated and wrote down a bunch of cool words and started just <laughs> mashing them together to make titles until we came up with Neutron County, which which immediately got out of scope <laughs> again because then I realized I had to make a county because it's on the title. So <laughs> then, then I realized Trifold Jam was happening. And I said, great, 
I can't. That's gonna. I, it, if I if I run out of a single piece of paper, then I have to stop writing words, which was really useful for getting this out in the world. And we changed it to Neutron Axe. Because, you know, an axe, it's a tool. And this is a tool. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and just filled it with uh, purple prose of, like, weird fantasy, like, you know, fun stuff. So the I can't help myself very quickly. The, the mechanic I'm excited about which I learned a long time ago that you can't sell games by telling them by telling people about dice mechanics that you're really excited about. But I'm going to do that anyways because <laughs> this is a safe space, which is essentially <laughs> if you're familiar with Overwatch and how Overwatch mm-hmm. has armor and shields, it does something very similar with dice where if you there's light, medium and heavy weapons and heavy weapons, when you hurt someone with them, you roll 1d12. And with light weapons, you roll 3d4. So they have the same maximum amount, you know, different probability curves and, and three four-sided dice. The minimum you're going to get is three as opposed to one. But armor subtracts its value from each die you roll. So if you're armored, then all of a sudden it's really negatively impacting. People are using fast light weapons and people who are using one, you know, big weapons can get past that with way less of an impact. So, narratively, your shield is good at protecting you from one big attack, but weak to lots of little attacks. Your armor is the inverse. It offers some protection against many small attacks, but not much against big ones. So, like, one hit from a huge mace will probably smash your armor in, but your shield can take that blow. On the other hand, a little knife going stab, stab, stab from multiple directions, that's going to get around your shield, but your armor will protect you from all of those angles. So the, the way the dice works is when you effectively hit with a small weapon, you do 3d4 damage. So you get to roll three four-sided dice as opposed to a big weapon where you get to roll one 12-sided dice. And so what, what it ends up creating is this sense where it feels like you're rolling something, when you're using a small weapon, you're rolling something small and maybe no one of these is going to do a lot, but they're, as a group, they're dangerous, you know, a bunch of light pointy things as opposed to a big, heavy 12-sided die. And then the way shields work is... They they absorb damage, but they only absorb from one die at a time. And the way armor works is they they subtract the amount of damage you take from each die that gets rolled. So your armor is way more effective at impacting these small light weapons, but not nearly as effective as like potentially one big twelve sided die roll. So and and yeah, the the way like magic you know, or science fiction writer shields work is they, you, they absorb from one die. So it, you know, like your, your fast stuff will get around shields and your uh, big heavy thing will, it'll absorb the singular blow. So it's it's, it's this Mm -hmm. like little, very small bit of dice tech to make kind of tactical fights that I'm very excited about. (laughs) And it's very okay if retroactively you're just joining us now back in the podcast after hitting the (laughs) go forward 15 seconds thing. But uh, so 
the so it you know like that's something that I really want to build out. I think it'll be really fun to play with. And then Neutron Axe is essentially how big of a game we can make that fits on one sheet where you know instead of attributes you have your four classes which are you know your standard there's hunter mutant hacker and witch you know the classic four dungeons and dragons tropes and what they're good at and you know you you get bigger dice in them for you know doing appropriate tasks appropriate to the you know burning demon skulls and harvesting motherboards from cyborgs that kind of thing but yeah so we're and I I keep meaning to sit down and write out a big rambling blog post about it so that we can have a dev blog for it. But but the goal was you know we didn't have a lot of room to write this big setting guide or whatever. We had like a paragraph to be like it's crazy like there's <laughs> cyborgs and it's Whoa. it's radiation and a maelstrom whatever. So a lot of what we did was to say okay. Well, you you level up as a mutant by wait, I already did that one. You you level up as a hunter by like purifying blight hearts with salt. And later on, like, oh, if you kill a slime monster, you get a blight heart. And it's sort of like, okay, great. So now we know a couple things about this world. Mm-hmm. What does a blight heart look like? How much does it weigh? I could I have no idea, and frankly, I don't care. Like it's your game. But like it's enough to be like, okay, well, Here's, there's the sort of A to B to C of, okay, so if slime monsters have blight hearts and you spend blight hearts to, to advance, well, then you, you've got to go out and get a slime monster. Yeah, mm-hmm. like there's reason to go out and deal with slime monsters and why it matters that, you know, like why it matters to hunters that there are no more blight hearts is it's definitely something that I would love to hear about. Um, <laughs> we, we built in a lot of room for the GM to find their own take on the story. A lot of negative space. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it, it, we, by which I mean we ran out of room. I almost forgot to include a way to get hit points back. Like, we have hit points, and then you get hurt, and then we were like, okay, we're done. And then I was like, oh, wait, we, oh, wait. I've got to delete something so I can so that you're not just in an endless oh, death spiral. But, like... Yeah, you get. You, we already wrote that game. If you if you get a good <laughs> night's sleep, you get hit points back. So and then it it was it was I thought it was going to be an ash can, and then Kali said, "Well, we can do this if I get to do the layout." <laughs> and so it it actually it looks really nice. I'm I'm very I'm looking at one of our ones that we were we were trying to get the the panel order right so that when we print it out. But but yeah, and then I essentially handed Kali this sort of manuscript. And then all of a sudden she was drawing like custom icons for it and stuff. And it looks really nice. I'm really pleased. Uh, I'm pleased. It looks great. And I had a ton of fun reading it. And I think one of the really big things like the I love the dice tech. I remember you like poking at the brain trust when you came up with it. And I think it's very cool, like having sort of a. A subtraction factor applying to individual dice instead of total number is a very interesting thing, especially when you consider the context in which you've placed it, right? Smaller, lighter weapons are less effective against one type, more effective against another type. And it's almost like you formed this rock, paper, scissors situation within the game. And I love also this concept of like class as stats and that sort of defines your character. And I think just those two big pieces are, are something that 
I will now think about in my game. So I've already learned by reading Neutron X. That's it's amazing. Yeah, I, the that was what got out of hand with Neutron County was the the like in that one it was like faction relationship as stats and then all of a sudden mm-hmm. I was like writing out the narrative like background on like six different government agencies and it was getting <laughs> it was like this is not this is not a one pager this is not a one week project that we can like knock out so that I can stop obsessing about like getting this idea out in the world so it's yeah <laughs> we're, we we accidentally seeded ourselves with like five different games as part of this because we don't have enough to do. You know, uh, we'll just we'll add them onto the list of yeah. all the other games that we've been excited to make and just haven't gotten to yet because there's this life thing that keeps happening. Oh, uh, mm-hmm. speaking of which, I, if you bought High Magic Low Lives, I promise we are going to make an adventure for it. We said we would make an adventure <laughs> for it. We're, we're going to make so it. so close to done. You will get it for free. We just need to finish writing it it's it's <laughs> it's working in parallel with with duckburg we haven't forgotten you it's it's gonna be great we just i just have to rewatch the gdc video on hitman levels six <laughs> more times because i'm obsessed with it and then write an adventure and it's gonna be great you're gonna love it well you heard it here first everyone it's coming <laughs> Nowhere else. Yeah, uh, uh, it's uh, two years late, but shh, we didn't actually say when we do it. So is, what, what is time? What is time? <laughs> Time's meaningless these days anyway. Yeah. We but make we, it up. Uh, we really are going to do it, and I'm sorry it took this long, and we love you. Thank you for supporting our first game. Aw, I love it. Yeah, this is this is a very cool trifold for the jam as well. Like, uh, there's just a lot... When when you were talking about sort of the A to B to C lore setting, like key like basically a keyword setting, and I think more and more because I had like I said I had Chris set on here a while ago, and for the Dice Souls game, they have written in like lore questions, like you answer questions about the world based on these prompts that each monster or each region gives you and that's sort of shaping your goal throughout this campaign. What I like about this sort of like keyword setting design is like you said, you have a lot of negative space for people, but these keywords are also easily replaceable, right? I could replace slime with werewolf if I want to change the tone of the game, right? I could change Blightheart with anything. Silver? I don't know. But I think what's really cool about this style of design is that it's it's versatile and all it really needs is the base mechanics to sort of play this game. Otherwise, you're playing a different game, right? If you changed out the dice resolution system, you wouldn't be tra- playing Neutron Axe anymore, I think. But if you changed out the word hacker to something else or any one of those like sort of keywords, you'd still be playing Neutron Axe to some effect. And I think that's very cool and very smart. Yeah, we're I'm really excited to to write out a like a version that is intended for people to swap stuff out of just mm-hmm. like because it doesn't need to be classes. I just didn't want to do, you know, intelligence mm-hmm. as a stat again, mm-hmm. you know, like it, it, there's there's like a lot of different ways you could tweak it. But there's sort of this essential core of it and then sort of helping people build out from it and then, you know, make it so 
yeah, like it's it's easy to to make something that you know fits on a trifold, but is your own setting and just uses the 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 dice. Mm. So we're I'm I'm really excited to get into that later because we got a we got we got we, we made, got a backlog. We've cut so many checks and they're gonna <laughs> and we gotta cash them. Like we gotta. Well, and granted, a lot of those checks we're cutting to ourselves. Yeah, also. but I, I. But there's a lot that we're excited to make. Yeah. We keep telling people we're going to make stuff is the problem. <laughs> and, then, and then you should do it because you said you'd do it. Such is the curse of powerful designers with very wrinkly brains. You just never stop shooting out ideas and you never stop getting held by them. The other day, I, I've been playing a lot of Monster Hunter Rise and I recently just had like an idea where what if what if there is a game where like there's it everyone has a deck of cards one deck is like an AI monster situation, and then your weapon type m- turns into like a deck builder, and it's like a great sword deck only has high numbers, and you're trying to play blackjack against the enemy deck without busting so you can land your hit. And there's like another version where you're playing go fish with the monster deck at the same time, like just these sort of like intricate, you're playing different card game things. And I like, but I still have to work on kaleidoscope and that can't stop, otherwise it'll never be done. If you if you haven't, there's a video game called Dicey Dungeons that I strongly recommend because it, it does a lot of that stuff in mm-hmm. really smart ways of like, you know, sometimes you want a lot of ones and sometimes you want mm-hmm. the biggest numbers you can get and it like ties that to, to different things in really smart ways. That sounds rad. I, lo- I love when games do that. I love when games like evoke the, evoke the feel of different stuff like mm-hmm. through, I mean, and, and you know, the first like dread introduced that concept to me in a pretty big way. And I think that was uh, a lot of a lot of people's sort of first experience of like, oh, playing Jenga feels like a horror movie and mm-hmm. we're playing a horror movie with Jenga. What a what a what a concept. And I think, you know, like like you said, like what what feels like go fish and like how how do you. You know, with, of of all these fantasy weapons, like which which one feels the most like blackjack or poker or mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. yeah, three card Monty. Oh shit! Is that it? Is that a Bennett game? Hold on. Start writing that yeah, down. No. This just the sort of find the lady, find the lady, and then make the uh, yeah the shell game. Netrunner's oh, good that'd be for so this. Good. I'm very excited Shoot. that Netrunner has more cards coming out. <laughs> um, that's a whole different thing. But, uh, but yeah. Yes, Neutron Axe is very cool, and I'm already teeming with ideas. Anything else you want to sort of add to the design principles behind Neutron Axe? Not yet. I mean, the the short answer is yes, but we need to write them because it's it like like I said, we you, you know. Right now, a hot meal and a good night's sleep heals one d twelve of your hit points. Like that's that's good, but I think that might that might benefit from a little a little more time on under mm-hmm. the knife. Um, I think Neutron X really benefited from having a well timed jam. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. that helped us to just get this idea out there. Thank prior, you, Keegan. Prior to the jam, we were talking a lot about like, okay, well. Could Dan just write a blog post? Would that get the idea out in the world? Was it enough to tell the brain trust? What was enough to get this out into the world so that mm-hmm. we could start working on it and thinking about everything else going on? And then came this wonderfully timed jam that provided us the the medium 
that we needed to get that out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I love that there's like a larger scope behind this game. Like I feel like one this this can potentially be like a very cool hackable game. Like I think this has a lot of like blades in the dark common license energy, which can which is awesome. Not to not to make like a one to one comparison, but just to be like, you know, like I said, there's a lot of keywords that can be switched around in here and there's a lot of like really cool mechanics and delineations that you find throughout just these six panels, which is very very awesome. So I think this is, you know, I if from my perspective, it's the million dollar idea as far as as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, you, you I'm always thrilled to be compared to Blades in the Dark. Do not mind that one bit. But yeah, I, that's 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 lovely. That's my hope for it is that, it, you know, like we'll we'll keep making Duckbergs as long as people keep buying them. But it's it's uh, like we have we have so much cartoon animal in dark fantasy ideas you don't even know I'm Man, we've been working <laughs> on a cartoon animal dark fantasy game since since before gem room games was gem room games yeah uh, it just keeps getting out of scope um <laughs> and then we start working on something else to do an in scope project so we're keeping an eye on what possible worlds is doing with their like their like Kickstarter six game set and, mm-hmm. and we're just gonna let's see how that works because I think that might be what what named have we have we named it on the internet yet is it is it are we NDA to ourselves talked about <laughs> it about our cool modular game system inspired yeah. by earlier works published under it's dan phipps yeah well this is this is getting oblique very quickly <laughs> yeah. but uh but yeah we're we're like stay tuned for that yeah, yeah, we'll, yeah. we'll get that together i swear but. it's coming out within the next decade yeah someday stay tuned games yeah i think that's a missed opportunity there stay tuned <laughs> games is actually very good we're committed to to this brand we've got we've got dozens of followers on twitter <laughs> but but yeah if uh, that's if you don't need it, uh, Jeremy, then then one of your listeners, that's a freebie for you. That's <laughs> you can pick that one up. With that then, I think that'll draw us to the close. See what it did there? It's it's in the name. Dan, Collie, it has been an absolute pleasure having you both on here at the same time. Could go ahead Tell people where they can find you, get your stuff. All these links will be in the show notes down below. Let it rip. Um, so our games can be found at gemroomgames.itch.io. And you can also follow us on Twitter at gemroomgames. We're, I think we I think we grabbed a bunch of social media that we never ended up using. I think we have an Instagram, but we haven't used it. So yeah. feel free to follow that. We will not, you I mean, won't see maybe, a lot of pictures. Maybe someday <laughs> we might post something. Yeah, we gotta, we we're gotta. Tr- we're really trying not to spam your accounts. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. This is a, this is definitely a choice and not a result of being exhausted literally all the time. But uh, it's, we're, hey, listen, we, we're, we're making games again. I'm thrilled. But, but yeah, so the best place to find out what we're working on is uh, Gemroom Games on Twitter. Follow us on Itch.io and you'll get a little deedly deed that tells you when, when, when we've released a new game. My personal is it's Dan Phipps on Twitter, and I tweet about game design and more abstract 
ways there sometimes and complain about records management. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't really tweet about much game design, but you can find me at Kali Law, which also both of us are linked from the Gemroom Games account. Yep. Go to Gemroom Games. That's that's where the that's where the good stuff is. Yeah. Perfect. Well, everyone, I hope you've had fun listening to Dan and Kali, because I know I have. I learned a lot. And we will see you next time. Say bye to the people, family. Bye bye. Oh God, I'm doing I'm doing the violet thing. <laughs> yeah. I'm saying bye bye in the way to make Violet say goodbye. Bye bye. <laughs> oh my God, I swear I'm an adult. All right, that's a wrap. Dan and Kali, thank you for being the first co-op power couple on the show, and Gem Room Games is an inspiration for the future of game design. All the games we talked about today, along with all the links to get in touch with Dan and Kali and Gem Room Games, will be down below in the show notes for your access. If you liked the show and found it helpful, send a tip my way by following the link tree in the show notes to my Kofi or Venmo profiles. Or, if you are unable to provide monetary support, you can provide support at no cost by sharing this with someone you thought of while listening to this episode and leaving a review. Both of these methods greatly impact the success of this show and lets me know that what I'm doing is beneficial to designers out there. If you want to be a part of the conversation or hang out with the alumni from the show like Dan and Kali, you can join the DYD House Discord server. Thanks for listening, and I will catch you next time.